Good morning. Not bad. Not bad. I know you don't come to church to have your reactions rated, but I rate them anyway. <laughs> um, as Jack mentioned, and as some of you know, we're in uh, our series this summer. Not really a series, really. We're just going through the lectionary. Um, whereas as churches all over the world are gathering around specific scriptures, um, we are taking just a, a season to go through these scriptures and to just ask the Lord, um, what, what does he have to say to us through these specific texts? Um, so you can actually, if you just Google lectionary readings, you can find them online and you can follow along. You can see where we're going to be each week. These are available um, to anyone online. And a lot of the more liturgical churches are practicing these all year round. We're doing it just for a season. Um, but one of the fun things is that every once in a while, the lectionary picks a scripture that happens to be like one of my soapbox issues. Um, so I'm going to do my best not to like just kind of rant about this this morning, but uh, you might have to forgive me a little bit. And just so you know, the lectionary picked it, not me. Um, so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Just for the record, this isn't just a soapbox issue. It's something that I, I really believe is significant for our world today. Um, and to the soapbox issue. Colossians chapter 1, um, we're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read the introduction to this letter. It's really Paul just saying hello and greeting the church. So we're going to start reading in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you, from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, as you know, every time we gather, we thank you. We, we read your word. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would speak that your truth would ring this morning, that the name of Jesus would be the only name that we are concerned with and the only name we remember, that we would hear from you, that anything that's just my thoughts or my soapbox or my opinions would be forgotten, that only what's from you would be remembered. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I'm curious, is anyone else here, when you 
uh, get a new hobby, you just go all in right away. Anybody else? All right, awesome. So other people have closets and attics that are basically like an elephant graveyard of past hobbies. <laughs> yes, absolutely. This is one of the things my wife and I are totally, totally different about. Um, if my wife's going to get a new hobby, she's going to take a lesson. She's going to rent the supplies. She's going to research it first and make an educated decision before she spends any money. For me, right after we got married, I decided that we were going to like snowboarding. I didn't actually ask her opinion. I just decided we were going to like snowboarding. Um, so I bought snowboards for both of us. I bought all of the gear. I bought boots. I bought all of it. We went to the hill. And for me, my perspective is like I've spent money on it, so I'm going to like it, right? Like I'm going to like it enough to make up for the money that I spent. Um, so I just keep doing it until I figure it out. I loved it. Jen hated it. If anyone wants to buy a women's snowboard used once, it's like eight years old, but we still have it, and I will sell it to you for a great deal, <laughs> I, lo- I, I used to love snowboarding. I, I, I have, like, if you were to go through the storage room in our house right now, you could see a museum of my past interests, all right? You would see all of this rock climbing gear, right? You would see, you'd probably find relics from, from longboarding. I got rid of the longboards because I don't want to go to the hospital again. But uh, you'd find some information. You'd find, like, like, a set of chisels for the five hours that I decided wood carving would be a cool hobby. Uh, you would find fly fishing gear and other fishing gear and hunting gear. You would find like competition weight ultimate frisbee discs from when I was into ultimate frisbee. You would find all kinds of stuff. Like golf is the only place I've drawn the line. I haven't gotten into golf, but pretty much everything else, I, at least once I'm like, you know what? I can spend 500 bucks on this and never pay it off. <laughs> here's the thing though. If you would have known me in college, you would have probably said something like, Man, this guy's passionate about rock climbing. This guy loves rock. Me and all my friends, that's all we talked about. We talked about climbing. If we watched a movie, it was a rock climbing movie. If we were on YouTube, we were watching videos of world, like world champion rock climbers. And if we were going on a trip, we went on a rock climbing trip. If we had extra money, we were spending it either at Taco Bell at 3 a.m. or on a rock climbing trip. Like that, that was all that we did and all that we talked about until I, I graduated college and I moved to uh, a place where there were no rocks <laughs> and no other people to climb with. And I mean, the passion just kind of died. If you would have met me in like 2014, 2015, you would have been like, man, this guy's passionate about snowboarding. Because all I talked about was snowboarding. All I wanted to do was snowboard. If it was the summer, I was bored because I couldn't go snowboarding. And I was watching snowboard videos. And if I, was, if I had free time, I was out on a slope snowboarding, usually getting stood, like just stunted on by 10-year-olds who were way better at it than me. And that's part of the reason I lost passion in snowboarding because they were so much better than me. And I didn't like getting just absolutely flexed on by children. But <laughs> You know, one of the things that's interesting about the word passion is if, if you... If you remember maybe 10, 12 years ago, all of the life calling, the career, the gap year, the help you figure out who you are, organizations and social media accounts, they all said, find your passion. Find your passion, the thing that you're passionate about. And there was this idea that like, if you can find the thing that you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. Then you will want, if you can find the thing that makes you want to get up early and stay up late, and you can do that. And we started celebrating all of the stories of somebody who figured out how to turn their hobby into their career, right? Like this guy loves snowboarding, and he's a snowboarding instructor. Sure, he lives in an apartment with 15 other guys and only eats Pop-Tarts and Red Bull. But man, he's doing it. He's living his passion. It should tell us something about the word passion that all of those organizations don't use it anymore. They've all moved on to a different word. 
because passion is good. Passion is important. But passion doesn't equal commitment. Passion doesn't equal commitment. We could look at our own lives. We could look at our dating history. We could look at our our gear closets and our past hobbies. We could look at the divorce rate in America. We could look almost anywhere. And we could see that for all of the good that passion gives us, it's a human thing. It's a good thing. It's reflected in the character of God. It's essential to life. Strong feelings, emotional connection, desires being met, being excited about what we do, it's important. But for all of the good that it does, passion can't sustain commitment. What you are passionate about does not guarantee what you will do. Passions fluctuate. Emotions change. Feelings go up and down. They are fragile. They are unstable. And they are good. Now, Paul is writing the book of Colossians to a group of people he's never met before. And we see that in this introduction, that he's writing the book to people that he's only met. He's kind of a friend of a friend. He mentored the church planter that ministers to this church. And in the book of Colossians, we find some of the most beautiful and poetic exclamations or expressions of theology in Paul's writing. It's here that we find Paul writing things like Christ is in all things and all things hold together in him. And later on in chapter one, we hear him say, the mystery is this, Christ in you is the hope of glory. We see these beautiful and poetic phrases. But here in this introduction, it's important to note, Paul is greeting the church. And the first thing that he does is he affirms the church for their passion. We have heard of your faith. We have heard rumors of your love. If you've been around the church world for a while, you know that when a new church or a new movement or a new organization starts, what you start to hear about is, man, that house is full of faith. Have you heard about the worship there? Those people are passionate about Jesus. Man, they are loving people like you don't see anywhere else. There's so much love in that church. Paul is affirming those things. He's saying, you guys have a reputation for being committed, for being all in. Your love of other people goes before you. That's your reputation. And it's important to note, he doesn't say anything negative about their strong feelings. He doesn't say anything negative about the passion. But he does have a prayer for them. And when the most prolific church planter in human history and the author of more than half of the New Testament has a specific thing that he prays for new Christians and passionate believers, we should all pay attention. He affirms their passion. He affirms their love. He affirms their feelings. And he says, this is my prayer. I haven't stopped praying it for you since I first heard about you. My prayer is that you would grow in knowledge of the will of God. That the Holy Spirit would guide you into wisdom and understanding. So that you can live a life worthy, so that you can be strengthened, so that you can find endurance and patience. And you would grow in the knowledge of God. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. These these four different times these words are used in this text. He's emphasizing something. That passion can't sustain commitment. 
We need something else. Now, here's something that uh, you've heard here at the fold before if you've been around, and you will inevitably hear it again, um, because I think this is very important. Humans, by default, are bad at nuance. We do not like nuance. Uh, Humans are reactionary. If you look at human history, if you look at church history, if you look at the history of movements or anything, humans swing on a pendulum. We do something that we think is right, then some of us decide it's not right, and we swing all the way to the other side, and we move against that thing, and we react, and then we react again, and we react again. We are reactionary. We are in the extremes. Humans tend to be in the extremes. Jesus is almost always in the middle. One of the things that we've seen in the last really... 50 years of culture is, of Christian culture specifically, is a swing or a pendulum swing in the church world. And I would say, uh, even if you're not super familiar with church culture, you probably notice this. Even if you're not a believer, you will probably recognize this based on what you've heard about the church. Now, I could go into a lot of detail about how the Renaissance and Enlightenment led us to modernism and the subsect fundamentalism that ultimately created the reaction for postmodernism, and now we have two varying definitions of truth that have created a nuanced perspective of truth so that none of us can grasp onto it, and now we have to react to the good and bad in every culture and swing that's in every different movement in history. And I could talk about that for hours, and you'd probably get bored, but I would have a lot of fun. Let me just summarize it by saying that basically what's happened in the last... 40 or 50 years, is that in church culture, we've looked at the culture around us and we've said, feelings aren't trustworthy. What you feel can't be trusted. Your feelings lead you astray. Your experiences are subjective. They're not objective. So we've swung towards knowledge. And we've taken this big push in in church history right now. We, We have said, what matters is that you know the right thing. If you know the right things, then you'll believe the right things. And if you believe the right things, then you'll do the right things. So you need to grow in knowledge. And we've made really the idea of faith an educational proposition and the idea of growing in faith, growing in knowledge. So that we look at our lives and we say, I just need to know more. We assume that knowing much of Scripture is the same as living Scripture. I can hear the mm mm-hmm's and the yeah's in the room, which points out that there are a lot of young people, people of every generation, but specifically people in late Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, and early Gen Z who have looked at that and they've said, that seems like a dead faith. And they've quoted other of Paul's letters where, where Paul writes that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And, and maybe you remember when C.S. Lewis described love And he said to love at all is to be vulnerable and that we protect ourselves from love. We disconnect ourselves from emotion and we wind up with our hearts in a box, cold and alone, unable to feel but unable to be wounded. And we said that is what a knowledge-based faith seems like to me. We've swung the other direction. Now it's interesting, every movement, every pendulum swing has elements of truth in it. Because here's the thing, feelings lead us astray. Everybody who's dated more than like three people knows that. You can feel very strongly about someone that is very bad for you. Knowledge is important. We need to know what we believe. I would describe it like this. Feelings are, feelings are senses. They tell us where we are. They don't tell us what we are. Your, your feelings can tell you that you're in a garage, but they can't tell you that you're a car. They can tell you where you are. They can't tell you what you are. 
But as a generation, at this kind of moment in history, and especially for a young church that's got a lot of millennial believers, one of the things that we've done is we've reacted to a knowledge-based belief system, and we've swung towards passion. And we've found ourselves in a place as kind of a generation and a moment in church history where we say, man, I just want to experience Jesus. Did you feel the presence of God? Wasn't it so powerful? Man, do you know how good and how beautiful and how sweet Jesus is? It's so cool and I love it so much and I just long to be in his presence. And I just, I'm believing for a miracle and I'm trusting for transformation and where chains are breaking and we have this passionate belief system. And this is one of the things that defines young people really in in all of church history. Young people are defined by passion and by reckless abandon for something. But the problem is we've developed a perspective, and you've probably heard this, you've probably seen it on social media, I've heard this a bunch of times, where what we say is, I just love Jesus so much. I don't need all of that theology. I just want to love Jesus. I don't need, I mean... All of those big words, all of the churches arguing, denominations bickering, why does that even matter if I can just love Jesus? And see, this is where I get onto my soapbox. Because, did you know that Mormonism loves Jesus? I mean, they believe that Jesus is a glorified human who owns his own planet, and that you can become like him, and that Jesus is, And God and the Holy Spirit are three distinct gods. They are, by definition, polytheistic, where we as Christians affirm one God eternally existing in three persons accepted by faith. It is a different religion, but they love Jesus. And actually, you'll meet a lot of Mormons who don't know the difference. Because one of the tenets of their faith is just love Jesus and ask questions later. (laughs) You don't, when you grow, you'll figure it out. You don't need to ask those questions. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus, love Jesus, completely different religion. What I want to offer you this morning, you've heard of the phrase tempered glass. Something is done to glass that strengthens it, that, that allows it to withstand weight and pressure. I want to offer you this morning that knowledge tempers passion so that it can sustain commitment. But without knowledge... Your passion will not last. Now, I want you to hear me. I am, and this is going to hit everybody differently, but your passion for Jesus is incredible. I hope, I hope that we are people who are quick to obey. I hope that we are people who will lay down anything at a moment to follow Jesus. I hope that we are people who long for the goodness of his presence. But I hope that we are people who continually grow in the knowledge of who he is and the depth of understanding of who he is so that our passion will last through the difficult times. Because this is what Paul says. You need to grow in strength and develop patience and endurance. Why? Because life is hard and passion isn't strong. You need to grow in strength. Passion doesn't survive the difficulty of life, but knowledge does. When the passion dies, but you know in whom you have believed, then your faith will last even in the difficult time. You need to develop endurance because there are seasons of suffering. Did you know one of the names of Jesus was man of sorrows? That's not very sweet. That's not the type of presence we long for. That won't develop passion. Long-suffering is a characteristic of biblical Christianity. (laughs) There are times of waiting, 
for our passion to last, we must grow in knowledge. And I want to be, be careful because I don't want to just harp on this, but I want to make this as, as clear as I can. And, and I'm not in any way, I hope you can hear my heart in this, I'm not in any way trying to be condescending or, or confrontational when I say this, but, but, I, but I hear so often believers that love Jesus. And I mean, they deeply love Jesus. They love him so much. They want to follow him. And, and when you start talking about scripture, you'll hear things like, well, I actually haven't read Leviticus. It's, I mean, it's hard. It's just confusing. I mean, I love Jesus. I love the Gospels. They're so beautiful. But Revelation is so confusing. And here's the thing. It is confusing. It is hard. It is difficult. And you need to read it. I mean, can you imagine if, like, I spent time with my wife, and we, like, got back from our honeymoon. We were like, that was great. And she was like, I want to tell you about my dreams. And I was like, I don't really understand them. Let's not talk about that. Or if she was like, hey, this really hard thing happened when I was a kid, and I was like, that's really confusing and complex, and I wasn't there, so let's just not talk about that. Like, obviously, that wouldn't add up in any relationship, would it? That relationship wouldn't last. We've got this this fallacy in our culture right now that says intimacy is passion. Intimacy is experience. Intimacy is desires being fulfilled. But intimacy is actually being fully known and fully loved. It's when desire and knowledge come together so that you can be fully vulnerable because the person knows all your stuff and they still love you for it. So if you don't know the person, it doesn't matter what experiences you have, you're not intimate with the person. So, so a, a relationship built on knowledge, we've, we've kind of made this joke at the fold before, a relationship built on knowledge where you know a lot about God, but you haven't had any experiences with God, you're not growing in intimacy with God, that's a lot like stalking. We shouldn't stalk Jesus. But a relationship built on experience and passion with no knowledge is like being friends with benefits with Jesus. It's all of the fun and all of the experience with no commitment to growing intimacy. We have to have a commitment to growing knowledge and understanding to continue to grow in the knowledge of who he is. Because here's the thing. There are a lot of people. I have, I have friends. This is part of why I'm so passionate about this. I've got friends that, man, they could tell you stories of miracles. They could tell you stories of, like, times where God just met them. And they were so passionate about following Jesus. And they don't believe in him anymore. And it's largely because they didn't have a deep knowledge of who he is so that when their experience of life did not mesh with their experiences in worship, their faith fell apart. Uh, one of the, the artists and authors that I listened to did a podcast recently, and he was talking about um, how, how there are so many people whose faith gets shipwrecked because when they're young and passionate, someone gives them a word that they claim is prophetic, like you are going to change the world. And then they find themselves 10 years later working at a Verizon store saying, I thought I was going to change the world, thinking God let them down. But God didn't leave them down. That other person just wasn't being prophetic. (laughs) Or they just don't understand that God actually works in the ordinary, mundane nature of our lives, giving us influence over the people around us in our oikos, if you remember that from the beginning of our last series, in our circle of influence, that the most powerful move of God is actually in the ordinary daily life that we experience. And they don't realize that the Verizon story is actually where the kingdom is breaking in. Their faith gets shipwrecked because they didn't grow in knowledge. Because life got hard 
and they didn't know Jesus, the man of sorrows. They didn't know the dry bones of Ezekiel that had to be dead and dry for life to come into them. They didn't know. know, there There are a lot of theologies that get posted around on social media and we take them and we believe them without questioning them because they sound right. So we, we'll say things like everything happens for a reason. Which it doesn't add up when abuse or devastation or cancer comes into your life. So if someone has blatantly or, or objectively bought into this idea that God just has selected everything that's going to happen in human history. And there's no room for free will then when horrible things happen and we don't know the character of God, our, our faith runs, a, runs aground often. But actually what Romans 8.28 says is not that God made everything happen. What it says is that God will turn everything good. That it's the miracle of his grace that the things that, we are, that are unimaginably bad will not stay bad. That, w- that when he gives us and affirms our human dignity and free will, and he has created us as co-creators of the world with him so that we actually have the ability to break things and to do great harm, but that he promises to act in redemption of those things, to not let our bad things stay bad. But, but a lot of us have theology where we've just bought into, you know, one of the interesting things about a knowledge-based, a purely knowledge-based faith is that when we remove emotion and experience and relationship from our understanding of God, our theology goes astray because God expresses emotion and we see the passion of God in Scripture and God meets us in moments. So when we take those out of our knowledge, we wind up with a hollow theology. But when the two things come together, when we are growing in intimacy of God through understanding of God and experience with God, then we see the character of God. The mystery of God revealed. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now, there, are, there are a lot of people that... I, I, you're familiar with pop music. There's nothing wrong with pop music. Pop music's great. Pop music is not designed to challenge your way of thinking in the world or to present profound art to you. It's designed that you hear it on the radio and you go download the song because it feels good. It connects with where you're at in life right now. Like it's designed to be catchy. That's why it gets stuck in your head, right? And pop music is good. It's a very good thing that we listen to. It makes us happy. But it's not the same thing as like Beethoven. Right? We see the difference there? Right? It, it, it might not qualify as like art in the same way. Some of it. I don't mean to step on anybody's toes. Jesus loves pop music too. Um, and cats, for all of you that are still mad at me from last week. Um, there's a lot of pop philosophy and pop theology in our world today, just like pop music. That's not designed to change the way you think about the world. It's designed to come off of a shelf and make you feel good. And there are a lot of people whose faith is getting bankrupt by pop philosophy because, because part of it is, is our problem as the church. We haven't taught people how to think about theo- theology. We haven't taught people the depth of Scripture. We've just said, here are five ways to fix your marriage, and here's a verse of Scripture. 
that's not what we're here to do. We're here to teach you the Bible so that you know how to think theologically and think biblically about the world so that you understand what Paul was doing when he wrote Colossians, that he was actually correcting heresies that had come into a passionate young church. That's why I was talking about knowledge. So that you can apply and think biblically. Just, just for the record, like, there are a lot of people that have read like The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, and he's got this very compelling analogy in the book where he says uh, he, he debunks prayer. And in the book, he says that if you, if you prayed to your toaster every day and your grandma got better, would you worship your toaster? And a lot of people hear that, and they're like, wow, I've never thought of it like that before. That's really, I mean, I wouldn't. So obviously, if I pray and, God, and my grandma gets better, if I pray to God, why would I worship God? It's just coincidence. But what, he does, what most people who read that don't understand is that, like, philosophically, Richard Dawkins is a joke. People don't take him seriously in academic circles. And that if your toaster had been prayed to for thousands of years with consistent answers to those prayers and you had an intimate relationship with your toaster and there was documented, well-researched academic study about the historicity and validity of your toaster, you would worship your toaster. Because that's what the Bible is. The, Bi- the Bible is not praying to God and saying, well, he answered, that was lucky. The Bible is saying, no, everybody that I know also prays and they answer. And for 2,000 years, people have prayed in this name and answers happen. And sometimes answers don't happen. And that's because we don't understand all of the mysterious will of God. We're trying to grow in knowledge. But we actually have evidence that this toaster answers prayer. So we worship him. It's not a toaster. You understand the analogy. Right? Like, Bill Nye just wrote a book debunking creationism, saying that creationism is something that's harming the world, but Bill Nye is a public figure, not a reputable scientist. He's actually gotten in a lot of trouble because he said some crazy things that real scientists were like, hey, we don't all believe that. Nope. Uh, Like, we need, to underst- we need to grow in knowledge and commitment to the ways of God so that our faith doesn't get bankrupt by questions that already had answers, we just didn't know them. We need a commitment to the knowledge of Scripture and to grow in knowledge so that when someone asks a question and you're like, I don't know the answer to that, you can say, I don't know, but I bet there's a good one. Listen, you need to read Leviticus and you need to read Genesis and you need to read books by dead people and books by scholars. You need to read some books by people that are very hard to read and very dense and it's hard to get through them. You should listen to like the Bible Project podcast or something like that. You should go, go deep into scripture. And I'm not here to try to shame anyone because you might be starting out at this and you're like, I don't really know where to go. I'm glad you're starting. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, it's a great time to start growing in your understanding of scripture. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 30 says about the ways of God. It says it is not high up that you would have to send someone else to get it for you. It's not across the sea that you would have to send someone to bring it to you. It's right here in front of you. It's in your hearts and on your lips. In other words, the, the ways of God are not so complicated that you can't understand them, even if you didn't graduate high school. My job, uh, the job of a preacher is not to get a degree to learn things you don't have to learn. The job of a preacher is to get a degree to help teach the church what the church needs to learn. You see the difference there? Like I said, this is my soapbox. But it's my soapbox because I've seen so many people's faith get bankrupt and run aground because their experience of God didn't match up with life. And they didn't realize that the Jesus they were following wasn't really Jesus. They didn't realize the Bible that they had believed in when they were growing up was actually just a reduced, reductionist version of Scripture that didn't embrace the complexities. 
they had really good questions that maybe somebody said, if you had faith, you wouldn't have those questions. And if that happened to you, I'm so sorry that happened. Your questions matter and they're valid. We have to grow in knowledge. We have to grow in knowledge and passion. These things come together, they create intimacy. Knowledge tempers passion so that it can sustain commitment. So here's, here's how we're responding. And I could keep going for a long time and I could jump into the difference between modernism and postmodernism and the enlightenment thoughts that brought all of that about and where we're at today. And we could have a lot of fun. Or you could just read The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. You could do that too. He's a real scholar. Um, but I think there are probably three places of application. You might be here and you haven't been taking Jesus seriously. You, maybe you've said, I can't really, be- there's no way I could believe that stuff. Because you feel like you have to check your intellect at the door to follow Jesus. You feel like you can't be rational and follow Jesus. And I just want to tell you that's not true. Some of the smartest people in human history and alive today are followers of Jesus. In fact, not to be controversial, one of the primary scientists who helped develop the technology that created the vaccine, I realize, kicking a hornet's nest when I say the word vaccine, just let it go. He's a Christian. He's, he's a follower of Jesus who teaches about the alignment between faith and science. He's one of the smartest humans alive right now in the scientific community. Um, if you're here today and you have felt like you cannot follow Jesus and be rational and, and have intellectual veracity, I just want to tell you, you can. And I want to offer humbly that there's a good chance that you haven't read all the arguments there's a really good chance that you have stopped at the pop arguments and you haven't read G.K. Chesterton or you haven't read C.S. Lewis or you haven't read uh, Julian of Norwich. You haven't read about Anne Rice, the author who changed her mind about atheism into following Jesus because she realized that some of the smartest minds alive in the world today were followers of Jesus. So I want to invite you to reconsider I'm not asking you to just change your mind on a, on a moment. Reconsider the arguments. Re-engage the questions. See the truth of Jesus. Second, you might be here today and you have found yourself at a place where the emotions are just not there, where, the, where you feel like you are in a dry spell in your faith, and the temptation is to then believe that you are distant, that you are drifting away from God. And I just want to tell you, emotions, passion, feelings waver. If you've been married for more than like 10 minutes, you know that. All right? Listen, a a healthy, loving, married couple will go from, you're the only thing I love in this whole world, to I don't want to see you in 24 hours. Like that's, all the married people are like, yeah, he's right. Because passions go up and down and feelings change. Right, You might be in a season right now where you just feel distant, where you're, you're stressed and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're having a hard time engaging with your emotions. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're drifting away from the Lord. Sparks can be reignited. Intimacy can be developed and built. Even if you are drifting away, you actually can do something about it. You can choose to re-engage. And you might just be comparing yourself to effervescent extroverts who are very emotional and you're an introvert and you're saying, why don't I feel like they do? And it's because you don't feel like they do about anything. Why would it be different in the church? All right. You don't have to be an extrovert who wants to dance in worship to have to be passionate about Jesus. Don't fall into that trap of comparison. 
here's the last thing. You might be here today, and you've honestly, you've just kind of said, you know what, I, I just love Jesus. Isn't that enough? And listen, that is plenty to start with. I'm not here to make anybody feel bad. That is plenty to start with. That's a beautiful place to start. Jesus is inviting you deeper, and he's inviting you into more. So pick a book of the Bible you haven't read yet and read that one. If you're really new to the faith and you're just working your way through the Gospels, keep going. Deuteronomy is going to be complicated if you've only been following Jesus for a couple of months. But if you've been following Jesus for like five years, it's time to read Deuteronomy. It's time to read Leviticus. It's time to read Job. It's time to read the hard books. You don't have to understand them. You don't have to have all your questions answered. Ask the questions. And, and don't just Google it, for the record, because there are a lot of people giving bad answers on the Internet. Like, find a peer-reviewed article, read a book, ask a pastor, something like that. Like, let, let's get good information and not just some guy's blog. Um, but it's time to take the next step. Jesus is inviting you into more. Knowledge tempers passion so that it can sustain commitment. If you are wondering where to start, what books to read, where to go, please come ask me. If there's enough interest here, we will do a class on basic theology or what is the Bible or something like that. We will do whatever it takes to help people grow in the knowledge of who God is. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we thank you that you do not reduce following you down to some sort of experience or feeling that, that the knowledge of who you are is, is deeper and better and more beautiful and that the life we have with you is more complex than that. We thank you that you invite us into something better. We ask that all of us would receive the gentle, loving invitation to grow in the knowledge of who you are, in the wisdom and understanding of the Holy Spirit, that our passion would be tempered by knowledge. We love you, Jesus. Amen.